we are doing a sermon series in the book of Deuteronomy, and we are going chapter by chapter all the way through. And in particular, we are focusing on what is called the Mosaic Legal Codes. Mosaic just means of Moses. The Mosaic Legal Codes are these very specific, detailed rules and uh, regulations that govern all of life. And they're contained in the first five books of the Bible, which is called the Torah. And as you read them, you can't help but to feel like, what's the point? <laughs> because they're, they seem so obscure, they seem so um, irrelevant. And I want you to know, this gets me so excited. <laughs> Because the whole, the, 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 the reason why we are preaching through Deuteronomy, the pastors and I, is because we want to show you the profound truths behind these laws. And we want to show you how these laws are signposts to the gospel and what they teach us about salvation in Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, we're going to read our text. This is Deuteronomy 14, 1 through 21. It's a fairly lengthy text. But um, please follow along carefully. So verse one, I'll start in verse 1. You are the sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves or make any baldness on your heads for the dead. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You shall not eat any abomination. These are the animals you may eat. The the ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roebuck, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. Every animal that parts the hoof and has hoof cloven in two and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Yet those that chew the cud or have hooves cloven, you shall not eat these, the camel, the, the hare, And the rock badger, because they chew the cud, but do not part the hoof, are unclean for you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof, but does not chew the cud, is unclean for you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. Of all these, of, of, sorry, of all that are in the waters, you may eat these. Whatever has fins and scales, you may eat. And whatever does not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It is, it is unclean for you. You may eat all clean birds, but these are the ones that you shall not eat. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the nighthawk, the seagull, the hawk, the hawk of any kind, the little owl, the short-eat owl, eared owl, the barn owl, the tawny owl, the carrion vulture, and the cormorant, the stork, the heron of any kind, and the hopo and the bat. All And all winged insects are unclean for you. you shall, they shall not be eaten. All clean winged things you may eat. You shall not eat anything that has died naturally. You may give it to the sojourner who is within your towns, that he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. This is the word of God. So, I have three points. This is the outline of my sermon. Um, Number one, 
we're going to look at the taxonomy of clean and unclean animals. Number two, we're going to look at the theology of clean and unclean animals. And then finally, number three, how do we become clean? So number one, the taxonomy. Taxonomy taxonomy just means system of classification. The taxonomy of clean and unclean animals. So, what do we make of this dizzying list of clean and unclean animals? And actually, it's an abbreviated list of a much longer list in Leviticus chapter 11. And the basic gist of Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14, is that there are clean animals and there are unclean animals. And the rule is you can eat the clean animals, you must not eat the unclean animals. That's the rule. Now, a lot of people think, well, maybe this has to do with health. Right? Maybe there's some kind of health risk in eating unclean animals, and God is protecting his people by giving them these clean laws. The problem there is that a lot of people have done a thorough analysis of all of these animals, and the unclean animals are no more dangerous than the clean animals. In fact, they are all perfectly edible. Right? It's no more risky to eat pork than it is to eat beef. And in fact, in the text it says that it is permissible for Gentiles to eat these animals. Verse 21, it says, you may give it to the sojourner who is among you. And so the Bible is not saying, right, like go ahead and give dodgy food to the stranger. Right? That's not the Bible. The Bible says love the stranger. Take care of the stranger in your gates. So what's going on? What is it? And the answer is that it has to do with a concept called disgust, okay, disgust. Now, admittedly, what is disgusting is a bit subjective. But every culture has standards on what is disgusting. Like every human being has at least some sense that some foods are disgusting. Uh, I remember uh, growing up as a kid eating Korean food. And, uh, you know, Koreans eat a lot of seafood, you know, because the nation is just surrounded by oceans. And in particular, Koreans eat octopus. And so, you know, to me, octopus is delicious. And I grew up as a kid thinking, everybody loves octopus. Until one day, as a kid, I brought octopus to school for lunch. And all of my classmates were so grossed out. Like they saw the tentacles, the little suckers, and it just gave them the heebie-jeebies, right? And it was not until that moment that I realized, oh, some people think octopus is disgusting. Um, So where does this come from? It's really interesting. All human beings have this internal sense, um, this internal sense of that of disgust. And this internal sense of disgust is designed to protect us from disease and from ingesting poison. So let me give you an example. Let's say you're walking in the woods and uh, you're actually lost and it's been many days now and you are starving. You are famished. And then along the path, you come across a dead animal and The dead animal has been dead for a long time now, 
and it's covered in maggots. Now here's the question. Would you eat it? Remember, you are starving, okay? You're on the brink of death. Would you eat that dead animal? And the answer is, it would be impossible, right? You would just wretch at the smell. Even if no one explained to you the science behind harmful bacteria, you could not bring your body to consume what is a toxic substance. That's disgust. Now, what is going on in the Bible is that the clean food laws are regulating and enumerating what is disgusting. So that cattle, sheep, goats are edible because they are declared clean. Whereas pigs, dogs, and cats, dogs and cats are mentioned in Leviticus 11. Pigs, dogs, and cats, which by the way, are all edible. (laughs) I don't know if you knew that. There are no cultures that eat cats, but people under duress can eat cats, and they have. Some cultures eat dogs. Most cultures eat pigs. And yet the Bible declares them unclean and unfit for consumption. Why? And the text tells us the reason is because sheep, cattle, and goats chew the cud. Now, what is cud? Cud is regurgitated grass. So for animals that graze on pastures, they have this complicated um, stomach system in which they sort of nibble on the grass, swallow it, and then like throw it up a little bit and chew on it some more. And so this is describing animals that pasture. These are herbivores. And the Bible says they are clean because they eat plants. Whereas pigs, dogs, and cats. Now, cats are mostly carnivores, but pigs and dogs are omnivores, which means they can eat anything, like literally anything. And in the ancient world, pigs, dogs, and cats would live on the outskirts of human settlements. And then at nighttime, they would, they would roam the streets and scavenge, and they would literally eat garbage, right? They would eat like whatever human beings had thrown out onto the street, you know, decaying food, bits of bone, and so forth. And in fact, pigs and dogs have such robust stomachs that they can eat poo because there's always bits of undigested food and poo. Most dog owners probably already know this, right? But dogs can literally eat their own poo. And so it's because of what they eat, it's because of what they ingest that makes them disgusting and unclean. The same rules apply for birds. If you look at the list of birds, the unclean birds are carrion birds. Carrion birds eat carcasses and decaying meat, whereas the clean birds eat plants and insects. The same rules are for aquatic creatures. You can eat fish because they swim around in the water, right? They have scales and fins, and so they're clean. But the sea creatures that eat the dead things on the seafloor, like octopus, lobster, eels, they are unclean. They kind of also look disgusting. Now, we all know, right, we know they can be eaten, and many of you love seafood, but it is a bit of an acquired taste. There are rules for insects. Only three insects are classified as clean and edible in the Bible, grasshopper, locusts, and crickets. All other insects, bees, ants, termites, which, by the way, are all edible. You can eat them but they are declared unclean. I think because 
they kind of like swarm around and they creep around. And so it's just, it, it triggers our gag reflex. This is why on TV contests, contestants are challenged to eat insects, right? Because technically, they're perfectly edible. You can eat, you know, you can eat bugs, but it's a very unpleasant experience for most people. So that's the first point. The classification of clean and unclean animals has to do with disgust. That leads me to the second point, the theology of clean and unclean animals, the theology. So, is this just a list of disgusting and undisgusting food? Right? Is the Bible just putting down on paper basically the Jewish cultural standards of what they considered clean and edible? And the answer is no. No, it goes so much deeper than that. And this is much more explicit in, um, and clear in, in Leviticus chapter 11. But you also see clues of it in Deuteronomy 14. So in Deuteronomy 14, there's two clues. First, if you look at verse 3, it says, You shall not eat any abomination. <laughs> I love that word. It's such a strong word, right? Abomination is a word that you use to describe some, like, let me pause for the plane. I'm tempted to say planes are abomination, but okay. So, so the word abomination is used to describe some kind of like reprehensible, evil act that is so vile, that is so wicked. And in the Bible, it's actually used most often to describe pagan rituals. And we're given three examples of it here in Deuteronomy 14. So in verse 1, it says, don't cut yourselves. This was a pagan form of prayer. You would lacerate your body to get the attention of the gods. They're told, um, don't shave the heads of the dead. This was a, a burial ritual to prepare and manipulate the body for the afterlife. And then in verse 21, most curious, it says, don't cook a young goat in its mother's milk. This is really interesting. It's actually cited three separate times in the Torah. And the reason why is because it was considered the quintessential pagan ritual. We're not exactly sure what it is, but we think it was some kind of like magic spell in which you take a young goat and then you take its own mother's milk and then you boil it alive and somehow this mixing of opposing forces of life and death produced strong magic. So that's paganism, right? It's cruel. It's evil. And then the same language, right? which is used to condemn pagan worship and pagan idolatry, is used to describe eating pork or octopus. It seems a little over the top, don't you think? And then second, look at verse 2. The text says, For you are a people, listen to this, holy to the Lord your God. And then you have the exact same expression at the bottom, verse 21. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. 
So then notice these two expressions bookend. They frame this list of clean and unclean food. What is the point? Don't you see? Let me pause for what sounds like a, a private plane. Don't you see Deuteronomy 14, Leviticus 11? It's not about food. It's about holiness. And the Bible is using this deep feeling that we all have that certain foods are disgusting as a metaphor to teach us about the holiness of God and to teach us about the nature of good and evil. And we all understand this intuitively. Because when you witness some evil, dastardly act, you don't just shake your head. You don't just express moral disapproval. You are repulsed by it. You are disgusted by it. It turns your stomach and you recoil because it's so foul to you. No one has helped me to understand this better than Jonathan Haidt. Jonathan Haidt, one of my favorite writers, He's a professor of moral psychology at NYU. He's actually an atheist, but he teaches on the psychology of morality. And he wrote a book called The Righteous Mind. It blew my mind. And in The Righteous Mind, he says that human beings don't just think of of evil as like behaviors that are wrongful. He says, but we think of them as pollution, as pollution. And the example he gives is this. He says, for most people, most people wouldn't, would be unwilling to wear the sweater of some evil person, right? Let's say some serial murderer has a sweater and it's given to you. Most people would be unwilling to wear it. Now, if you think about it, it doesn't make any rational sense. A sweater is just a sweater. What's wrong with wearing it? But somehow, most people feel like the sweater has somehow been contaminated. It's somehow been befouled. It's been stained by the evil. And we all understand this on an intuitive level. And so what the Bible is doing, and track with me now, is it's showing us what sin looks like to God. So that God does not just condemn sin as a judge. He is disgusted by sin in his very being. It is a visceral reaction for him. Do you understand? Because God is holy. We have no idea what that truly means. There's a really helpful book by R.C. Sproul called The Holiness of God. And R.C. Sproul says that human beings, because we are limited, we think through analogies, right? So we, we try to understand what we don't know through what we, by comparing it to what we know. And so we think of God as sort of on a scale. And here we are on the scale, and then God is on the far, far end of that scale, And R.C. Sproul says, that is completely wrong. 
The Hebrew word for holiness is kadosh. Kadosh means completely separate. It means radically different. So that God is not like us. But He is infinitely above us. He is infinitely beyond us. God is not on a scale. He is off the scale. The Bible says He is incomparable. So that there's no analogy, no metaphor that captures the infinite greatness of God. 1 Samuel 2.2 says, There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. God's holiness is His absolute moral purity. It's His infinite goodness. It's His immeasurable righteousness and purity. 1 John 1.5 says, God is light. And in, and in Him, there is no darkness at all. He is eternal light, so that the brilliance of His holiness will never fade. It will shine forth forever as pure light, pure goodness. He will never compromise. He will never tolerate sin. He will never wink at evil because God is incorruptible. Habakkuk 1.13 says, You are of purer eyes than to see evil, and you cannot look at wrong. God cannot even look at evil because it is repugnant to Him. It makes his stomach wretch. There's a very interesting passage in Leviticus 18. We looked at this a couple of months ago. Leviticus 18 is describing the pagan worship practices in the land of Canaan. And I want to read you this passage. It's really interesting. Listen to this. Do not defile. Defile means to be made dirty. Do not defile yourselves by any of these things. For the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. And the land has become unclean. So that I will punish its iniquity. And the land will vomit out its inhabitants. Sin makes God nauseous. Just like the thought of eating a dead animal covered in, ba- in magnets is repulsive to us. Right? You could not compel me to put that in my mouth. That's what sin is to God. That's what sin is to God. Do you see what an enormous problem this is for us? Because how can we have fellowship with God? How can we enter into His holy presence? Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4 says this, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Only those with clean hands, only those with pure hearts, can enter the presence of God. Only sinless, perfect human beings can dare to stand in the purity of God's eternal light. 
Who would dare to enter? And so that leads me to my third point. How do we become clean? How do we become clean? I want to take you to one of the most important passages in the New Testament, which is Mark chapter 7. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus and the Pharisees, who are uh, religious leaders, they're contending in argument. And the Pharisees accused Jesus of breaking the clean laws of the Bible. Now, actually, he did not break the clean laws, but they accuse him of breaking the extra rules of the rabbis, which is that you have to wash your hands. So not only must you eat clean animals, but you have to eat with clean hands. That's the extra rule. Now, this is really significant. And I want us to think this through, okay? Because we have to ask, why would anyone want to add to what are already difficult kosher rules, right? They're already difficult. Why would you want to make them more difficult? And the answer is you have to understand how the Pharisees saw the clean laws. Because the Pharisees saw the clean laws as these detailed guidelines on how to avoid sin. They saw the clean laws as sort of like boundary lines. And if you cross the line... That's sin. But if you stay within the lines, you avoid sin. But think about it. If crossing the line is sin, then wouldn't it be better to create some margin, some buffer? And so wouldn't it be better to create a second line further out, focus on not crossing the second line, and you'll be sure not to cross the first line? Do you understand the logic, right? So if sin is eating unclean animals, then wouldn't it be better to wash your hands. That way, not even a particle of anything that is unclean will ever enter into your mouth because ancient Jews, they didn't have utensils they ate with their hands. I want you to know, this is the essence of religion. Religion is a set of rules. And the rules tell you what is sin and what is not sin. So that religion divides the world up into good people and bad people. Good people keep all the rules, most of the rules. Bad people break the rules. That's that's religion. Religion is climbing a ladder. And keeping the rules is how you ascend the ladder. Each rule is a rung on the ladder. And some people are higher up on the ladder and some people are lower down on the ladder. And the people who are higher up look down and they disdain and they despise the people who are lower down. That's religion. And some of you are saying, well, that's awful. I hate that. That's why I hate religion. But listen to me. People, even people who are not religious, who don't follow a formal religion, they do this too. Because we all have a system of morality We all live by a code. We all have a set of rules that divides the world up into good people and bad people. And so the Pharisees are not just these fussy religious teachers, but they represent this universal human desire to climb the ladder, to have a set of rules that tells you what is right and what is wrong. 
every human being, every human being does this. Now, what is Jesus' response? I want you to know that his response is the most astonishing answer that has been ever uttered to this question. Because his answer destroys religion. His answer destroys all systems of merit. And I want to read to you this passage in Mark 7. And it's a, it's a bit of an extended passage, but please listen. This is crucial. And Jesus said to them, Are you without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And Jesus said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that sin and evil is not what other people do out there and then you're trying to avoid contamination. But sin and evil come from inside. It flows out of the human heart. And the clean food laws of the Bible are a metaphor to show you what your heart looks like to God. And Jesus says the human heart is unclean. It is full of evil thoughts, selfish desires, and cruelty. And therefore, religion is utterly ineffective because how do you clean the heart? How do you deal with sin when it comes from within? And so the whole point of the Bible The whole point is to bring you to this place of utter despair. It's to destroy this whole system of self-righteousness, of self-salvation, and to show you that you need a Savior. That you cannot climb this ladder of merit because you're stuck at the bottom. All your bones are broken. And the only way that you could be rescued is that someone has to come down And pull you out. And the central message of Christianity. Is that that savior is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Says God made Christ. To be sin. Who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, on the cross, Christ was clothed in our sin. And all the filth and foulness of our hearts 
was put on him. And then God turned his face away in disgust, in revulsion, so that Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is something we will never truly understand. And the reason why God gave all human beings this internal sense of disgust is so that we might have a small picture, just a small picture of what God would do to Christ on the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus became repulsive to God. He was so disgusting that God turned his face away so that we who are truly unclean, we who are foul, might become clean in Christ. That's the gospel. First John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near with a, with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is the gospel. Please join me in prayer. Almighty God, It says in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. In Christ, we are holy because of His sacrificial death, because of His imputed righteousness. We are holy. We ask now that you would continue to sanctify us and purify our hearts and cleanse our hands that we might serve you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.